happy Halloween. Yeah, we are recording this on Halloween. Ooh, um, and we're not dressed up, but that's okay. I know. I know. It's a Sunday this year. So I dressed up last night. Yeah, I dressed up last night. So what did you dress up as? Um, well, our, our theme was 90s themed for our party. Uh, so I kind of went as like a 90s stoner, basically. I had like nice. my flannel and I had my dark t-shirt. I was wearing Converse, <laughs> which unfortunately I like, as I was putting it on, I was like, I think I just wore this to the grocery store the other day, actually. <laughs> yeah. So- <laughs> I know it's like super in style. So I went as Mia Wallace from nice. uh, Pulp Fiction. So I got nice. like a wig. Um, cause I was like, oh, there would have been a day where I could have pulled off that hair. But now that I've gone blonde in my, in recent years, I had to get a wig. And then I just, I mean, we had, I had a cigarette and then I didn't do the syringe. Cause I was like, God, where do you get a syringe? And Miles like, you just get one at Rite Aid. And I was like, uh, and I just didn't have time, but it'd be really annoying to walk around with like something sticking yeah. out of your chest. And then like I was that. like, yeah. how do I like, how do I like adhere it? And so yeah. I just had like a bloody nose. And then at the bar, it was funny because people were constantly like, are you okay? Or they're like, super cute. You know, like they either <laughs> yeah. got it or they thought that like I got hit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, um, do we need to call the police? For yeah. You? Like, are you okay? Your the basis, right? Your, your nose is bleeding. <laughs> like, yes, it's <laughs> fucking honestly, Halloween. Okay. <laughs> all night. I would have just been like, oh my God, <sighs> just to fuck with people. Yeah. That would have been good. I should have done that. Yeah. No, it was good. It feels, it always feels weird when you like, I, I just always, you're always like, oh, it, you realize how much of maybe you would call it like an alternative lifestyle when you like, don't have like a front stoop to like give yeah. candy. You're like, who yeah. am I? I don't even have like a <laughs> I've lived traders that come to my door. <laughs> I've lived in apartments for probably like, God, from an like early twenties to up until just a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. like L- London was my last place before this. Well, my parents, my parents were in there. Yeah. Like, we live in a house <laughs> now. And so we were out earlier, like handing out candy to kids. Some of the costumes were so adorable. Oh. There was a girl dressed up as chicken and she really went for it. She had like a <laughs> beak and everything. It was so cute. So cute. I've got oh. like my Halloween nails. Nice. Yes. Um, what was some of the other ones that we saw? We did see a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and I'm glad that those are still alive, but those yes. are still around. Yes. Those are classic, classic, yeah. Yeah, it was good. Nice. Good. Now now we've uh, left the candy out for... Uh, oh, good. Hopefully, people to take with, with reason. We didn't leave a sign, though, so as long as they leave the table and the bowl, we'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of the episode of friends where she just starts writing checks because she can't, she gave all the candy away and she feels yeah. bad. Cause like one girl told her she looked pretty. Yeah. Such a nineties thing too. Like, Oh, oh, oh here, yeah. let me write you a check. What's your name? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, God, I hope that check doesn't bounce. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so today's Gothic theme, Gothic. Yes. We're going to talk about gothic literature, the, the genre as a whole, the genre, yeah. the, the artistic literary movement, essentially. Yes. So I'm the one who studied this a little bit more. So 
Uh, it'll be mostly mostly to me melissa talking this episode but yes yes so i did give you some homework homework. (laughs) um i'm gonna be honest i'm not gonna use that much i wanted that so that you would have so it wasn't just me speaking i wanted to make sure like those were notes uh, you know something that's like not wiki you know exactly exactly (laughs) so what i'm gonna be doing today is We'll kind of briefly go over some of the information that was in that, but I've taken <laughs> these three. Yes. We've got Dracula, Heart of Darkness, and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I'm going to be kind of pulling a couple of <laughs> themes throughout. <laughs> Look at you. You're so fucking excited about this. I am. I am. Um, I love it. I don't want us to be limited to those ones. The only reason I chose those ones is because we are going to be reading for like for the podcast on separate episodes. We're going to be reading Frankenstein and Wuthering Heights. Yes. Which will naturally come up eventually anyways. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm pulling some things specifically from these and I'll kind of expound on them. But then I want to make sure that like, it's not just me talking. So definitely bring up Weathering Heights oh, and Frankenstein when it comes I'll up. Pull, I'll pull something out of my ass. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. We've got <laughs> masters. We know how to do that. I know. Um, I'm not I'm not completely oblivious to gothic. I didn't no, study No, for it. sure. For sure. But um, I, quick preface though, is yeah. next season, hopefully, we will be talking about romanticism, which is yes. a bit more of like my favorite like yeah. movement, um, art movement. And there it's very similar in some ways to Gothic, but also they, they, um, they kind of worked in tandem in the, in the 19th century a lot. Um, and all of them were responses to the revolution, the, the French revolution, um, the industrial revolution. So all of these things, colonialism, colonialism, all that. So, um, so it's kind of exciting. We're going to be like doing like Gothic during like the the old the fall Halloween. the fall spooky time yes. and then romanticism like in the spring hopefully so yeah we'll kind of be going backwards back. a little bit so it'll be kind of fun I like I think time wise yes but mood wise I feel like it makes more sense almost yeah no it totally does yeah um okay so I mean welcome to in bed with books <laughs> my name is Melissa and I'm Bethany and let's just jump into it then yeah okay so like bethany was saying the gothic genre in in literary history emerged to like its peak as a response to romanticism Mm -hmm. so romanticism is definitely early 1900s or sorry early 19th century and then gothic is definitely the second half but you do see obviously you see some gothic novels popping up yeah. in the beginning and some of them later yeah it all overlaps it's it's definitely a conversation that's happening mm-hmm. they're kind of two two sides of the same coin of like mm-hmm. responses to globalization colonialism various cultural revolutions and so there's a lot to cover I'm not going to be covering all of it today. I'm like, if it's definitely something that I think will pop up again and again in the podcast, because it's just kind of always in my brain, but we're going to kind of scope it down a little bit 
and discuss some of my favorite elements of like get it out get that out of the way because yeah otherwise this is not good it's gonna be like it's an like, energizer buddy waiting for it to come out. <laughs> exactly this is also like not like an official lecture like oh yeah the no, whole no, no, no. point of like what we're trying to do especially this season is to just have fun with like academic subjects rather yes. than feeling like um uh ostentatious about it or just like oh we have to like, like feeling like a wrung out sponge about it yeah like we don't yeah. like we're not you know trying to get published or anything about it like we just want to talk about it because it's something yeah. that we enjoyed in school and it's something that we love to talk about yes. um so and like it's it's nice to just get to talk about it in a way that's fun instead of yeah. like feeling like a professor is fishing for a very specific response out of you. Like we're exactly. by no means the, we're not the, experts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we are just talking, I'm coming from having taken classes on this before and reading like, let's see here. These are like the Norton critical editions. They come with essays mm-hmm. in them, critical essays yeah and so like we're just getting engaged with that a little bit today yeah just to kind of lift the veil a little yeah. bit see beyond just the face value of some of these things so a brief kind of description of gothic if you think about it as a response to romanticism and as this kind of the like the opposite side think of it as like the shadow of Mm -hmm. romanticism and briefly like romanticism and i think yeah the shadow the shadow that you're referring to romanticism was kind of um brought up by a lot of romantic poets like Mm -hmm. keats and byron and shelley um i'm really short of breath today so it sounds like i'm about to cry all the time but (laughs) i'm not um but they it was um born kind of out of the french revolution which was all about feeling and almost like a childlike um, idea of sentimentality and and the ex- an expression of like emotions in the moment, rather yes. than reason, because where they were coming from, the 18th century of being like very much like a rational scientific, yes. and so this was like this burst of like emotional, like feeling. I f- it the dichotomy between romanticism and gothic tradition which arguably isn't they aren't opposites that's why Mm -hmm. i like to say they're they're two sides of the same coin instead reminds me a lot of edmund burke's beautiful and the sublime Mm -hmm. because the line between the emotional response to these things is what dictates it being romantic or gothic more so than like like you think gothic and you kind of see like the spooky house on the top of the the hill and like the bats go around and you can hear the wind like yes all of those things are part of gothic gothic tradition but it also comes down just as equally to the human element within the stories mm-hmm. and so where romanticism was quite literally like romanticizing the or like it's like this reclamation of the love of nature and like mm-hmm. being pleasantly overwhelmed and, with and the, the mountainscape and the and the human experience of it. Yes, exactly. The exactly. overflowing, the the unfiltered 
um, ex, um, reaction and yeah. There's, I think it's a, I want to say it's Robert Frost. So please like definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the line that's my cup runneth over, mm, like that's yes. like a very romanticist, romanticized sentiment, romantic yeah. tradition. So viewing then the Gothic tradition, the sublime, if we're, if we're using Burke again here real quick, the sublime is when you look at something or you experience something so overwhelming that it it evokes a feeling close to f- almost fear, like this mix of like fear and admiration mm-hmm. or even adoration, I would say, mm-hmm. which is why like the line between the two is so thin. And so you get stories like Wuthering Heights where it's a love story, but it's also a dark love story. Mm-hmm. Like rereading, because I've read that one, I think a couple of times for classes. The parts that would sometimes be sublime, sometimes be like dark and kind of you feel taboo. In other readings are romantic and vice versa with some, like Mm. some elements of the story. Like it definitely, the Gothic tradition is just as much about like the reader's response to these Mm -hmm. experiences as it is about what the writer himself is trying to get out of it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of like a seesaw throughout all of these books is what is the writer themselves trying to do versus what is the reader getting from it, which adds this kind of like meta layer of Mm -hmm. Gothic commentary on some of these themes that we're going to be talking about in a second. Um, But yeah. Okay, so I mean, some of the things that you'll find in Gothic tradition is obviously like the haunted hill, the haunted house on the hill, and you've got the bats, you've got dark imagery. It'll often be kind of, um, I don't want to say frantic, kind of frantic, but scattered kind of, Mm -hmm. like I'm thinking Frankenstein. Um, When you have the passages of the story where Dr. Frankenstein is studying and trying to create his monster or his his figure. You get really lost in his escape, in his yeah. spiral down the rabbit hole. Yeah, his um what is it called? Obsession. obsession. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um that like obsessive quality is definitely an element. Sometimes it's very like a like a very superficial element like in Frankenstein where you've got the story technically told from his point of view, which we'll get into in a second. And other times it's a little bit more hidden like in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. Uh another common element is that the stories are kind of stories told within a story within a story mm-hmm. so they're very often epistolary form which means they're told as a series of letters which is really common in the 17th 18th and 19th century is plural um so again with frankenstein as an example you've got the story starting for those of you who haven't read it it is nothing like the hollywood movie but you have the story <laughs> starting on a boat near the North Pole, because at this point it was still believed that you could find like a paradise if you went far enough north. 
So random character not connected to the actual story of Frankenstein and his monster is on this ship and he finds Dr. Frankenstein. And so as he's writing, as the sailor is writing letters to his sister, he also recounts the story that Frankenstein is telling him. And then you get, I think you even get some letters within it from Frankenstein because Frankenstein's like, this is it. I've got to kill myself and my monster. Um, and so he's kind of telling his story as his like swan song, essentially. And so the, like it's bookended by that mm-hmm. scene and then the rest of the story. But then in the middle of the story, Frankenstein tells, retells the monster's account mm-hmm. of what happened after he was abandoned so it's the story within the story within the story. Yeah. And that's really common in gothic novels. Not exclusive obviously, but common. What is the what do you think the purpose of that is? I I genuinely don't I if we were taught it yeah. I don't remember. Cuz if you think about like 20th century novels, it's that's very psychological like yeah. um mechanism for mm-hmm. a novel but I don't think that it works the same way <laughs> I don't think that was the purpose in the 19th yeah century. no I think it's it's definitely a precursor though yeah because one of one of the essays I was reading notes this is that as time went on into the 20th century gothic novels got more of a psychological reading mm-hmm. but it's unclear how intentional that was on in the, the 19th parts. century yeah yeah, exactly and, exactly. and how and how in relation to the culture cultural movement. Yeah. Um but I I could see how it could add to kind of the like the layered aspect of it can feel like the mm-hmm. dissonance. Yeah. Um and the like you said the unease or the chaotic energy. Yeah. You know, of being kind of of moved around a lot. Like it happens in Weathering Heights where you're like yeah. most of it is told through like Nellie's perspective. And then he and then there's the the gentleman, I forget his name, I think it starts with an N. But he like they're in then they're in the pub and she and he's like wanting to know more about what happened. And so then yes. it's like there, there's there's also different locations where this is being told. And so then yep. you're just kind of like and then there's like a huge um uh time jump in the story and so you're just kind of like trying to figure out where like where you are (laughs) what year is it yes (laughs) one of my favorite examples of it is actually Carmilla Mm -hmm. so that was the is the female vampire tale told by Lafana Sheridan Lafadu and it's told in this way that's uh like the the bookend storytelling narrative is um i think it is it's somebody who was in correspondence with carmilla or with um oh i can't remember her name now but the girl that carmilla targets Mm -hmm. and so the like ungendered narrator is retelling the girl's story because she had told it to him several years later and he had just found out, or like the, I should say, they had just found out that she had died. Mm-hmm. So she survives the attack by Carmilla, 
retells her story to this person. And then this person, upon hearing about her death later in life, which goes like undefined, we don't know how she dies. And so there is a part of me that's like, is it supposed to be implied that she died as a result still of Carmilla's uh, antics just years later? Mm -hmm. And so upon her death, this person retells it. And so I do think there's this element of trying to recreate like the scary story experience. Like you're sitting around the fireplace or you're sitting around the fire pit at a camp at a campsite and you're telling the scary story to the kids. It, it was largely oral tradition. And so Mm -hmm. I think they're trying to find a way almost of incorporating that within right written, like printed tradition. Yeah. And then there's this within that, there's this element because whenever you're telling a scary story, you have to be like, well, the old man who lives at that house on the corner, you have to make it relevant Mm -hmm. so that it actually scares you. So if it's a brother writing to his sister about this scary story, then you're kind of getting that as a viewer, kind of like, as this like outside as this like omniscient present within the story as a viewer, Mm -hmm. like that's almost what you are. Yes. Yes. So because the storyteller, because there's a, there's a sense that the storyteller does have a bit of control over yes, like, the scary element of it. So like, because of the way that the Gothic tradition is meant to, or like is attempting to pull at specific political or moral or cultural experiences, it's written with the active knowledge of the reader as a player within it right and technically all books do this but i think the gothic tradition is just hyper conscious of this Mm -hmm. because of the nature of the topics more often than not yeah so that makes sense yeah Yeah, so i think that is genuinely one of my favorite kind of like oh it's like just like structural elements Mm -hmm. or just like not thematic what's the opposite like what's like when it's like a thing within the book like a strategy or I guess yeah like just like a normal element not within plot or story of gothic things because it kind of makes it timeless almost right even though there's specific things within it it's like a story and stories themselves live on kind of yeah yeah Yeah. I know what you mean yeah yeah okay so jumping into the themes one of the common elements of gothic traditions comic common thematic elements if i were to just sum it up in like one word is the other Mm -hmm. and this comes up in a lot of ways a lot of ways because what they're navigating at its core as like a culture is the for lack of a better word the growing globalization Mm -hmm. their conception of the world and so this has brought with it like a lot of issues which arguably we're still like not even arguably like inarguably we're still dealing with today Mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason these books live on the way that they do i will kind of like later we can talk about modern uses of some of these things Mm -hmm. um so the two main ones that i found let's 
jump in here. Going first, reverse colonization. So this is coined by one of the critical people within the Dracula Norton edition. And essentially what reverse colonization is, is exactly what it sounds like. It's popping up in specifically, so these, these two were late within the Gothic tradition, later 1800s. So this is a good couple centuries into English colonization. This is firmly within the middle of England as an empire. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got Victorian period. She would have recently, she would have been leading up to you having her like diamond jubilee. Yeah. Disgusting, but we'll get into it. I have read Dracula more recently, which is why some of this is fresher. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that actually a heart of darkness is a much deeper text even though, as you can see, there's like a dramatic difference in size. Yeah. Um, So we can just, I'll start with Dracula a little bit here. So there's a couple of main ways that this reverse colonization pops up. And I didn't actually know this. I think I did. I I had forgotten until rereading this essay is that until Bram Stoker's version of Dracula vampires within the literary tradition so like in Carmilla in Polidori um they were actually not that actively seeking their prey they were kind of like the way that they describe it is kind of almost Mm cat-like um that's my wording for it but like they're kind of lazy they sleep a lot they aren't really active players within their uh, their hunting. But then I'm just going to kind of read the passage. So the person who wrote this is Stephen Day or, or Stephen D. Arata. I want to make sure to properly cite my sources. Yes. Um, so <laughs> Stephen says, unlike Polidori and Lefanu, for instance, who depict their vampires as wan and enervated and enervated. Stoker makes Dracula vigorous and energetic. Polidori's Count Ruthven and Lefanu's Carmilla represent the aristocrat as decadent aesthetic. Their vampirism is an extension of the traditional aristocratic values, or sorry, vices of sensualism and conspicuous consumption, which is true. But Dracula represents the nobleman as warrior, his activities after death carry on his activities in life. In both cases, he has successfully engaged in forms of conquest and domination. So Stoker makes a concerted effort to place Dracula and his uh, castle in Transylvania, loosely based on Vlad the Impaler Tepish. Um, who apparently he might not have even known was the Impaler. He might have just used his castle and then that came out kind of later right? in like the historical record. The reason he did was because at the time, English sentiments toward Eastern Europe were kind of tense because it was going through constant, constant 
empires changing. You would okay. have like the Hungarians take over and then like a couple of years later, the Turks would take over. And then a couple of years later, you'd have the Slavs take over and a couple of years later, the next one and the next one. And so there was this unease with the instability there. Mm-hmm. And then also this kind of like racial element of unease around the, their identities Mm-hmm. And they had, of course, like a lot of their own stupid opinions about it. Like, oh, well, I hear if you marry a Hungarian, you just become Hungarian because they have such like strong racial identities. Like, you just have to ignore your old stuff. They won't let you let you be part of your old culture, which probably not true at all. And that's yeah. also rich coming from England who tried to like assimilate people yeah. in all of the places that they colonized. But essentially, Dracula becomes this figure as like as a as a vampire who conquers in life because he he loosely talks about his his like life as a human. And he was Romanian. And at the time that this would have been happening, quote unquote, time that this would have been happening, it would have made him part of a more previously like more recently part of a community that had taken over the region and so he was a successful general in a conquest as a human warrior and then he becomes a sexual general in their like war and the reason (laughs) like the the way that these two I know I know because I know I'm not the first person to say this and it's not the first time that I've said this this is not coming from me being totally obsessed with vampires (laughs) it's just the way that they like kind of uh, conceptualize this new war and so Dracula comes to England partway through the book I should mention that there's definitely going to be spoilers in this so if you haven't read it We'll make sure to time give you timestamps so you can skip the, the books you haven't read yet if you really want to. Um, and the main character, the main narrator, because he's not the only one we get letters from, but uh, Harker makes a comment about how he Dracula becomes this omen for the fall of an empire whenever he shows up. And I don't know if you've seen like pictures of uh, Francis Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. One of the iconic images is Gary Oldman, kind of like the reveal that he his Dracula has arrived in London. And so I love that they pulled that because yeah. that was like a big deal. It's like the, the realization that Dracula has followed Harker to England is huge because he's like, I've brought this specter of like Empire's death into right. my own home. Now that I'm lecturing. <laughs> um so the fight ends up becoming about mina harker i don't know if her name was harker at first but she's like the main narrator's fiance or wife or girlfriend and then her best friend lucy westenra it's hard it's one of the, the difficulties of the way that gothic novels are told with that whole like story within a story so because most of it is from the male Harker's point of view, we don't know when they're 
relationship with Dracula starts, but partway through we find out that Lucy's been experiencing visitations and she's been wandering off. But even as Mina's watching her, she's like, Lucy is invigorated. She it's like life has been restored into her, even though she had just like previously been sick. And so the that's kind of like the first seed of the like the fear of the sexual prowess here because mm-hmm. there <clears throat> there is the very blatant like sexualizing of other races mm-hmm. to demonize them in a puritanical society but dracula he all of his victims are women so the women that or the the victims that harker had met when he was in transylvania living with dracula for a short time were women and they're loosely described as being like of various races so uh what the author in this essay coins it as or what he, he the term he uses for it is called deracination mm-hmm. because the vampire race trumps whatever race would have mm-hmm. you would have experienced previously so even though these women that he's meeting at dracula's castle all appear of different races because they're all vampires it voids them of that experience mm-hmm and so he goes to England and he attempts the same thing with Lucy and with Mina. And this is where it gets really interesting, though, as if it wasn't already. But some have argued that Lucy and Mina experience different versions of, like, that they're opposite storylines. So Lucy falls victim to Dracula's ways. She eventually dies and then is reborn as a vampire briefly. Mina, on the other hand, is saved in time. Mm. And she survives and her and Harker have children. So what Arata argues is that they're actually parallel stories, parallel punishments almost for Mina and Lucy. The only difference is Mina was saved to reproduce for her own empire whereas lucy was absorbed into this other one and became a reproduction for Mm -hmm. the vampire race so inadvertently and like this is one of those things where it becomes a what the reader gets versus what the author intended so for a little background bram stoker was a transplant to england from ireland at the same time that ireland was getting heavily colonized by England. His personal writings and also some of his actions make it a little unclear on how, like, which side of the argument he fell on when it came to, like, the consciousness of, like, England as a colonizer. So it's a question about whether he's trying to make an argument for, like, look what you're doing to other people, and I can only tell it this way so that you'll understand, versus look what the threat is from Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. so it's like kind of what was the purpose or like what kind of like what level does it end at but Mina and Lucy become again they become these vessels for the continuation of the empire mm-hmm. 
it's just the question becomes which empire do they get to con- let help continue on right the vampires or the yeah in the end they do like defeat dracula and they kill all of his like ladies so they <laughs> defeat that vampire or that that empire but the the kind of like subversion almost of making england the victim in the situation but knowing that victim that england is the perpetrator that england mm-hmm. is the dracula mm-hmm. to the rest of the world mm-hmm. is very interesting it's a, it's a very kind of like they're like england would have read this people from england would have read this story and been like yeah i mean eastern europe is terrifying who's even ruling it now yeah and then like stoker could have been sitting there like yeah that's wink wink what the story meant definitely not that you are dracula um so i mean the gothic tradition does do what a lot of other books do especially especially during the 19th century which is like undervalue women and so i do like arada's reading where he's like it actually inadvertently talks about the importance of women in the like the literal like offspring reproduction but also the like cultural reproduction of the empire like we are essential to its survival Mm mm-hmm and I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay. that's cool. Yes. Okay. So let's see here. Oh, so then with Heart of Darkness, again, I don't have as much to say on this one. And that's not because like Heart of Darkness doesn't have the things to to read into it, but because this seems to be like a broader yeah. theme within it. There's not quite as much to delve into. But I mean, it's pretty much just like plot related. The, the plot of Heart of Darkness is that Marlowe, this character, goes to Africa and he's meant to go on this trip. And throughout the course of novel, experiences this kind of return to what has unfortunately been termed like savagery, but is essentially just like he's left the fetters of his culture and he's left to his own humanity which a lot of people don't like to be exposed to dracula and heart of darkness kind of approach this reverse colonization differently and i would say heart of darkness does it in a much less refined way sometimes in a much more like racist racially driven way Mm -hmm. um where Dracula is about Dracula coming into England and attempting to topple that empire, like literally the empire. Heart of Darkness is much more internal. So Marlowe goes into Africa. He goes into the other country. Mm-hmm. And the other country, instead of, like, like I, mentioned, I mentioned a moment ago, like the myth of assimilation, instead of him having to blend in or instead of like, uh, sorry, one of the Africans like going to England and having to blend in there and like mm-hmm. why he can't assimilate there. It's like an inverted. Yeah, it's like the the fear that these men are going to Africa and losing their Englishness, essentially, mm-hmm. which is really just like 
aggressive puritanical values. Okay, hold on. There's a quote in here. This is just from the forward. This one didn't have part. So part of the reason that it's shorter is because it doesn't have quite as many critical essays. But one of the things that okay, so this is by Joseph Conrad. So one thing that Conrad had said in just like a letter to somebody, because all of these authors have publications of all of the letters that they hoped would stay private. Yeah. So I would like to first of all apologize to Conrad for reading this, but Conrad actually did travel to Africa. He at one point had actually signed a long-term contract to stay out there with one of the mines, I think it was. But then he contracted a couple of diseases, had to end his contract, went back to his home country. Literally, I think he went back to London, actually. Literally spent like months in the hospital still. And his friends kind of talk about that time being when he made the shift from sailor to writer. Uh, one way that he describes his experiences in, in Africa specifically about viewing because he went there when let's see here he went to the congo free state which at the time was under the possession of king leopold ii of belgium which is notoriously terrible time for congo yeah yeah mm -hmm. and so he says it was the vilest scramble for loot that ever disfigured the history of human conscience and geographical exploration which again having the hindsight now that we do mm -hmm. is still arguably true mm -hmm. so during his illness he kind of had like a coming i don't want to say coming apart i guess but like a lot of time for introspection and so what the person who wrote the forward says because they are not properly cited here one sign of its changing character is that marlowe predominantly a detached figure in part one becomes with his journey upriver an involved participant, increasingly excited, feverish, and panic-stricken. Conrad had said at one point to a friend that the book almost seemed to kind of write itself because he's essentially trying to like work through the trauma of his experience out there. Like we had talked about a, mo like a, a few moments ago about the psychological aspect while not necessarily explicitly intended maybe at first is definitely like emerged. Um, the reason a book like this would be so easy to write is again, so he's like working through this trauma. This is written several years later. The visceral nature of some of these scenes, like I, I don't recommend this to the faint of heart, genuinely. Mm -hmm. Shows just how still prominent that was for him. And the, the, the time distance between, like the time gap between his return and his return to health, because he did actually experience health issues for the rest of his life because of that. Um, the, the several years that had to pass also tells me that he just wasn't ready to write it yet. So mm -hmm. it's still this visceral several, yeah. several years later. But he talks about Marlowe's descent almost like as like a natural experience and not weighing it morally because I, I feel like today saying this things like a natural gives it this almost like positive morality I'm not saying one way or the other but that mm -hmm. like it was inevitable that Marlowe wouldn't 
succumb to this, what, how does he say, this feverish, excited, feverish, and panic-stricken participation in the, the unfortunate acts that happen in the book. Because what your culture, what your, your own countrymen are saying in this new space is that it is okay. Mm-hmm. They're, they're celebrating it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so reading this now, there's the the question of is the villain Africa or is it just unfettered Europeans within this space? Well, the fact that he I wouldn't say assimilated with the Africans, but he Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. He didn't assimilate, but he was a participant like you said. Um well, because he doesn't there participate long- with the Africans. Yeah, he, he participates right. with like the Europeans' vile acts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's why, like, uh, again, another loose spoiler. He has been trying to, or he's been following this man named Kurtz, mm-hmm. and at the very end. Kurtz is the one who like assimilates into the African culture. He owns enough things. He's made enough whatever in order to like kind of rule over this small society. What I would argue is that the villain or like the, the specter of colonialism is what did it, not the African. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like because now like why would why would they just cave to like this guy who's not from where they're from in terms of like putting him in a position of leadership like Kurtz as a symbol is colonialism he enters the space and makes himself the ruler even though he doesn't know he can live there his entire like his entire adult life he will still just be this European implant though yeah well some and and maybe even Conrad I don't know specifically would argue that like we shouldn't be mixing it's just saying that you shouldn't be mixing with other cultures what it's actually saying is maybe don't go in there cause atrocities and then claim power over them yeah like it's a very (laughs) kind of superficial i feel like message in the story yeah but yeah this one deals with colonialism much more head-on i think than dracula does yeah well and and there's kind of a a sense of i would i don't want to say autobiographical but there's definitely something based off real experience yeah being the white man going into Africa, like, mm-hmm. and then seeing, so like, yeah, he didn't make friends out there. He was like disgusted by what he saw. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Okay. So then real quick, since like, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to have to do it all at the end, but some ways of this, these things still show up then in modern forms and it's not always gothic like i said these things aren't exclusive to the gothic tradition they're just common within it yes one obviously 
the vampire trope. Yes. That still exists. And the fact that Francis Coppola's Bram Stoker, who's like, I think it was in the 80s, either the 80s or the early 90s, his Dracula was so popular, really proves how much we enjoy the story. Yeah. But Heart of Darkness does something that I think we didn't he conrad definitely didn't realize because he does say to one of his friends in one of the letters that he thought it was just a story that fit their time but in let me look this up real quick i should have looked this up earlier let's see here uh well the movie is apocalypse now there it is so 1979 martin sheen stars in apocalypse now which is set in like the heat of the vietnam war basically the same plot Mm. and it also still made entire sense based on the vietnam war but it's just heart of darkness yeah and so where conrad is thinking his story isn't going to be like a timeless tale it is. It ends up being that way. Yeah. Because unfortunately, humans never learn from the past. And then more recently, just as a kind of general Hollywood thing, I don't know if you've ever, I mean, you've probably noticed this, but Hollywood has this general habit of making like the villains of any stories, whether it's like an action movie, a comedy, um, like a spy thing the villains of those stories are always whatever political world power Mm. we're fighting against yeah like the russians yep after 9-11 you would get a lot of like arab looking muslim Mm -hmm. presenting people um in like the 80s it would have been china and russia all that kind of stuff heart of darkness and dracula were definitely doing that so Dracula at first and Stoker even like essentially cites Lefanu in one of his letters said when he in the original manuscript of his novel had it in Styria which is where Carmilla was supposed to be from like a general somewhere in Eastern Europe but upon reflection changed it to Transylvania because at the time it made more sense for the political mm-hmm. environment. It immediately drew more connections to like Romanian uh, figures, which they kind of pull from. It tended to be, at least from what Stoker was reading, and in those recent years, in, in those preceding years, was a more notable city. So it's like the same way that like the Avengers always like have to save New York City. They never like the 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 attacks are never anywhere else. But it's because we know New York City. It's an American symbol. It's relevant. Yes, exactly, exactly. It uh, it holds more um United States meaning as like a national, as like an empirical figure, as like an empire empirical. It's a um, it's a literary way of getting everyone to understand what's going like what you're trying yes, to do. Yes, like it, yeah. it it brings very universal connotations yeah. for people. Yeah. So yeah, so those are some modern 
some modern ways that we still do this stuff. Yeah. Um, what was the one with uh, Ben Affleck where they're like shooting a movie, but they're doing it to like get hostages out? Argo. Mm, I haven't seen that. It's based off a true story from like Afghanistan. Armageddon? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like those stories are the ones we end up telling because we're so eager for this kind of war stories for these politically relevant fictions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is. That is the first major theme that pops mm-hmm. up that kind of not continually within all of them, but it definitely it's repetitive. So the, the, the two theme main themes that I pulled out from the other is this external one. So something outside of your culture, something outside of like the English empire or the European empire, I should say, since I don't think Conrad was English. Um, but the other one that I've got here is the internal other. I actually love this one. I do recommend this one. This one can be easily read by the faint of heart. I read it in like a day. Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it has not been that aggressively changed from the original story. Can I tell you my experience with Dr. Yes. Is it with with this book? No. What is it? Dr. Dr. Jekyll Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Hyde. I didn't want to say Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde because that's something my mom would say. And also me Um, (laughs) was um, the page master. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love that movie so much. I love the books. The little books. And it was uh, Whoopi Goldberg and there was an angry book and then there was like a sad book and then the fairy book, which was Whoopi Goldberg. But the, well, the sad but, book was a little gothic. I think he yeah, was, he was to be, the like, scary. He was loosely Frankenstein. Yeah. Because he's kind of like big and dumb. And then the, think of the pirate was like the, the pirate was like the adventure, which was essentially yeah, like, and him um, and the fairy were like in love. Yeah. It was so cute. I love that. Yes. So much, but it, yeah, the part where it was like the Dr. Jekyll, the books like yes. did that. And that's like the only thing I've ever seen on it that, you know, like, Oh, I know um, what it means in that way, but honestly, it's the same person that yes. part of the, the, movie was really scary actually I remember oh yeah it is terrifying (laughs) I remember that as a kid I was like yeah I did not I also don't handle scary things easily though yeah so that concludes this episode of gothic literature tradition that Melissa has so sweetly lectured me on (laughs) (laughs) Um, um but we 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 went on quite a bit about this one, so we decided to break it up into two parts. So, so join us next week. Join us next week when we continue about the gothic, the, the gothic tradition. Yep. Yeah. All right. Meanwhile, happy reading. Happy reading. Bye. Bye.